Welcome back for another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, John St. Amand. As a CrossFit coach and athlete, not to mention podcast host, I have an appetite for fitness and CrossFit information. And in the past handful of years, the sheer volume of fitness information available to feed that appetite has exploded with articles, videos, podcasts, dedicated to training programs, instruction on methodology and technique, nutrition, sleep, strength, conditioning. If you're looking for it, it's probably available. Now that speaks to quantity, but what about quality? Well, for quality, there are just a few sources I go to regularly. And my guest for today's episode is one such source. If you recognize the phrase, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, beautiful people of the internet, you know who I'm about to chat with. Nate Edwardson is a vlogger with a rapidly growing following on YouTube that voraciously devours videos that he publishes several times a week focused on the CrossFit space. As he got started, Nate created the Day in the Life series, chronicling the life of elite athletes one at a time who had given him remarkable access to their lives. Names recognizable to those of us that have followed the sport of fitness for a few years, like Brent Fikowski, Patrick Vellner, Emily Rolfe, Lucas Parker, Carrie Pierce, Sam Quant, Allison Scuds, Amanda Barnhart, superstars in the world of CrossFit. As his channel's popularity grew, so too did the breadth of the content that Nate introduced to his viewers, diving into commentary and reactions to things happening in the CrossFit world. From changes to format uh, in the CrossFit Games, open announcements, diets and workouts published by athletes, and more. And facing restrictions on travel due to the pandemic, Nate ramped up his publishing schedule and deepened his commentary and analysis of the CrossFit world. And it delivered growth to his channel. And it just so happens that's how I became part of Nate's regular audience. But what does it take to be a full-time CrossFit-focused YouTuber? In 10 seconds, you'll hear from the dreamer himself, Nate Edwardson, as he talks early beginnings, stepping stones, aspirations, and his new lifestyle brand as he prepares for yet another big move with his venture. Nate Edwardson, thank you for joining me for the Box Jumper podcast. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been watching your videos. Honestly, I discovered your videos more towards the beginning of the the current quarantine lockdown, and I've I've been uh, following along as time has gone on. But I've also kind of tried to jump back and and watch some of your earlier episodes as well. Um, even before we talk about your life as a full-time YouTuber, um, let, let's just talk about how did you get into this life in the first place? What, what was your background in sport? Uh, so I played basically every sport known to man growing up. Um, I played competitive soccer and basketball were like the first two when I was really young, transitioned into volleyball, beach volleyball, rugby was kind of the one I took the farthest. Um, and right after first or second year university playing rugby, I found CrossFit, um, through that. So that was kind of the sporting background. Wow. And so sometime along the line, you, you wound up not only just being a CrossFit athlete, but you became a coach ultimately as well, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much right away. Like I started at, so, um, I actually found CrossFit when I was in Nova Scotia, I was Mm -hmm. going to school at Acadia. So I was in Annapolis Valley. So for any listeners from Nova Scotia, small place um yep. and there was like one gym that was just starting out apple valley the, yeah i've been there yeah apple valley yeah yeah so and the lady who was running it at the time was also running like a chiropractic business and some other things and so mm-hmm. she needed some help around the gym so i was able to jump into coaching like almost right off the rip um which was super fun and it kind of allowed me to like learn a lot about crossfit by not only doing it but also like watching other people and critiquing or whatever and i had a background obviously in like movement and training because of rugby and, and other sports and, um, right. you know, things like the Olympic lifts and, and regular power lifts and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that kind of got me into coaching basically right off the rip. So where'd you do your L1? I did my level one in Laval, Quebec. Oh, yeah. Um, so I did it, I was home for one summer. I did there. It's actually a stack level one. I did it in 2014, which was the year Camille won the game. So it was like a month after Camille won the game. She was running my level one. With Holy. Dave Libson, Austin Maliallo, Denise Thomas, uh, Michelle Latondra, 
and um, Matt Dubrick, who's another Canadian level one guy. So I had like the stackedest level one of all That's time. That's a serious oh, James field. Was there too. Holy crap. James Holbert was there too. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really cool. It was like a really cool level one to be at. Um, and uh, yeah, that was my first introduction to like the actual real methodology. Like I had seen a lot of the, the content that was out at that time, but that was even before like 2014 was really before CrossFit even started making content. For yeah. The most part. It's early, early ish in that process. Yeah. Yeah, like CrossFit had obviously been around for a while, but it was mainly just the journal was yeah. like what they were doing. Um, there obviously wasn't really content creators in the space. And then also CrossFit didn't really pick up the media until like that year, like the Froning film, when he remade that, that was kind of the kickstart of like, whoa, this is like an empire that we're building kind of thing. And then you started seeing all of the YouTube content, the Road to the Game series and all that. Yeah. But before that, it was like there wasn't a whole lot. So so when you started coaching, was that something that you, you uh, I mean, you you the demand was there. Is that something that you gravitated towards that you thought would be a stepping stone to, to something else in your career? What were you studying at Acadia? Um, I was studying, what was I studying at Acadia? I was a double major in political science and economics. Um, and then I switched to SMU when I got a coach, a full-time coaching job in Halifax at Ironstone. Mm-hmm. Um, I switched to business and I was just like a general business major. But no, man, I, I didn't want to do anything to do with what I was doing in school. I knew that like pretty much off the rip. Like I was one of those like classic, like I just pick something out of a hat to go to university. <laughs> you were finding yourself? I was supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, it's not even so much that. It's just like at that time, all I cared about was playing rugby. So I was like, I'm going to go to a school where I get to play rugby. Right. And then I just like picked out of a hat a course that I happened to like from high school, which is political science and economics. And I don't know, even when I made the switch to St. Mary's, the only reason I did it was because of the full-time coaching job. And again, I just kind of was like, oh, I'll try business. Maybe that'll help with my coaching. So mm-hmm. like, I was not using coaching for anything other than that. Like at that moment, like we made that move and we both, my girlfriend and I transferred, she went to Dallas to SMU purely so I could pursue this whatever goal or dream of like being a full-time coach, which at the time was like, to me, I was like, this is a dream come true. This is awesome. I get to hang out in the gym all day, coach. This is like super sweet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I started coaching, I was like, all I wanted to do, I want to be the best coach I could be. I got my level two, like a year or two in, like I was super obsessed with it. Yeah. So, so when did that, when did things start to change? Was it, uh, as you were graduating, did you, did you envision keeping the full-time gig as, as a CrossFit coach or did you figure something else was coming after you finished university? I never finished university. I still haven't graduated. Um, I dropped out of school to move to Ottawa to pursue another job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was basically what happened was I was coaching full time for probably two years doing nothing else. And then after two years of coaching full time at Ironstone, I discovered YouTube and I discovered what blogging was for like the first time ever. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to try that. And like my personality being my personality, I just like dove all in and I started making like a video a day and nothing to do with CrossFit. I was just like vlogging my life, like going mm-hmm. to school and whatever. Um, and I uploaded like every other day for a hundred days and then every day for a hundred days and made like 200 videos and kind of was like, oh, I like to make videos. I like to do this. And that's where I think my focus started to drift away from pursuing being the best coach that it could to like. I didn't know what it was, but it was like, I want to do something to do with like this video, YouTube, whatever. Right. Um, and at that time I was like, okay, like let's hone my skills a little bit. Let's try to be like a videographer for a bit and like learn how to actually make like quality content. Cause at the time I was just using like my iPhone and iMovie to make the vlogs. So I was like, Hey, I want to learn how to edit in like premiere and I want to learn how to use a real camera and like do other things, whatever, like enhance it a bit. So I started doing videography, kind of like side jobs, not really jobs in Halifax. I was just more like working for free for whoever would let me. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that time, Paul Tremblay was doing a level one at our gym in Halifax. <laughs> that and we might got have been the one that I did. Oh, really? It's yeah, entirely maybe. possible because he, he was, possible, it man. was, it was him and uh, Jason McDonald uh, ran my yeah. L1 and it was at Ironstone. And that would have been 2015, I think. Yeah, that would be a little early. I remember him coming before that. The Mm. the one where we had a conversation was around, I think, 2017. Okay. Um, But anyway, so yeah, we had a conversation and we were just like, you know, he said that he was looking to get more content done for the gym. And I told him that I was looking to get more into doing content. 
And then like a month goes by and I get a text from him being like, Hey, like, would you be interested in moving out coaching full, like coaching and media full time, like, you know, coach basically 50% of your work hours. And then you do media the other 50%. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like, obviously like a dream come true at that point. Just like when I got offered the coaching job at Ironstone, it was a dream come true at that point. This was like the next thing that I was kind of interested in. And again, I was still interested in coaching, but because I didn't really realize exactly what I wanted to do with media at that point, but this was just an opportunity to develop it. And so I like went all in on that and we like within a month or two packed up, moved to Ottawa. Um, and I started working for them and doing content for them at NCR. So. Nice. So NCR was producing its own media content, just promoting CrossFit and, and their gym specifically. Well, yeah, they were doing nothing at the time when I got there. Right. Um, so that was kind of the point, I guess, of bringing me out was to start doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because they didn't really have any preconceived ideas of what they wanted it to be. They were just kind of like, hey, like, we want to like utilize some form of content. Like they obviously had, I argue, the best gym in Canada. I still would argue the best gym in Canada as far as coaching goes, like the best coach gym. Mm-hmm. They all have like level threes or level fours. They're all on seminar staff, Pete Reza, Paul. And they had like a really cool community that was known for like competitive athletes, like relatively like locally competitive, whatever. Like it was just a cool community. And, but they didn't really know how to broadcast it, but I think they wanted to. And so I came in with the idea to do a YouTube show, to do a podcast, and then obviously to like pump a bunch of content on like Instagram and other social platforms. And so I just kind of started doing that. And like it was cool because I had like pretty much complete creative freedom with it. Um, and I was able to really dive into that, which like at that point for me, was like starting to open my eyes to to like content in CrossFit because that was the first time I had ever made videos about CrossFit before it was just like whatever like lifestyle whatever um so yeah that was kind of like a cool like blending of the worlds I guess so CrossFit had not eked into your your personal vlogging at that point I like for some reason man I thought it would be like stupid to mention it like i literally never said there's they're all private on my channel right now but there's like over 200 videos uploaded in my channel um, the first 200 videos I ever made vlogs where I was working a full-time job as a CrossFit coach. I was training two to three hours a day thinking I was trying to go to regionals or something. And I was vlogging my life every day. And I never once mentioned the word CrossFit. Never. <laughs> I would just say, I'm going to work out. That's all I would say. Right. And then I'm going to yeah, work. Yeah. I never said what I did for work. I don't know why. I was just like, I don't know. I have no reason as to why I just didn't. And so, yeah, it was kind of my first like light bulb moment at NCR where I was like, oh, these two things can live together. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So what, uh, when you, when you started out, you were doing, you know, the iPhone and iMovie, what did you, what did you progress to? I mean, do you have, do you have kind of a, a history or a chronology of, of what kind of gear you wound up investing in, in order to see your passion develop the way that you wanted? Yeah. I mean, like I'm a big believer in like I could probably still be using iPhone iMovie and and you know if the content was the same as it is now I could probably still be like where I am like I don't think the gear matters that much especially with how True. big phones are nowadays yeah but it's more just like it was a more of a mental thing of being like instead of pumping out a video all, every day and not leaving myself room to like learn better techniques and better styles and better this that and the other thing which like sort of came along with like getting a bit better of a camera and whatever. But for the most part, it was just like putting a little bit more time and effort into the videos um, and less just like raw output, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but I mean, as far as technical stuff goes, I went from iMovie to Premiere and I still use Premiere. So that was the only evolution with that. And yeah. then I got the first camera I got was a sony a6500 mm-hmm. um and i literally had that camera until like two weeks ago and then i got the new camera which is yeah right I, here i saw your camera. most recent episode when you mentioned the the new camera yeah and the new microphone and the new microphone well yeah windscreen same microphone yeah. just got a windscreen yeah nice yeah so somewhere along the line so you're you're producing these these uh this media content for ncr what did that wind up resulting in your getting attention from people outside of ncr for your skills in telling these fitness and crossfit related stories yeah i think the opportunities they provided me did so like not so much the content like i don't think we didn't reach that big of an audience there weren't wasn't that many people watching the ncr stuff Mm -hmm. relatively um i mean 
depends how you you quantify it. But at least for right now, it, it didn't seem like a lot. Um, but what it did allow me to do was like we went to Wadapalooza in 2019, um, and that was the year CrossFit or like four months after CrossFit abolished the media team, and you know Heber and Marston were like kind of left to fend for themselves. Yeah. And they had put out the first Buttery Bros episode like a week before that Wanted Palooza. Um, and I saw that and I messaged Heber, just like a random DM. And I was like, hey, man, like, I love what you guys do. I'm going to be at Wanted Palooza. If you guys need any help shooting episodes, just like let me know. And to my surprise, he replied back and he was like, yeah, OK, we'll we'll talk when we get there. Mm-hmm. And so there was just two opportunities there where I just like showed up. He handed me a camera and I just like film them do like a workout and like a little bit of like interaction with some athletes whatever and then that happened again in london again from an opportunity from ncr i was going out to film paul's team do the do the competition strength and depth just like i did in wadapalooza yeah. and same thing i got an opportunity to help heber mars and after that weekend they were like okay like we like you this thing is kind of working like we're gonna like bring you out and so then they've started flying me out to events and whatever they were doing um still just working for free but they would like fly me out and i would do it and then after a few of those about halfway through 2019 they started to like actually pay me mm-hmm. um and that's kind of where like that i guess like next jump happened right so. well i mean those are those are some pretty incredible connections i mean you know to yeah. to be able to cut your teeth on shooting in those environments first of all you get amazing access um, mm-hmm. to, I mean, presumably were you shooting on the competition floor or were you shooting behind the scenes or a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything, man. Yeah. It wow. was kind of crazy. Like, yeah, I, I went from having never like water It was the first time I'd ever been to a CrossFit competition. Like I'd never been to regionals with games or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I was basically, I had a media pass there and I was like in the warm up area. I was, I wasn't on the floor during any of the individual stuff, but I was on the floor like filming Heber and Marston do their thing. And like, I had like a lot of access. I met every athlete in the world there. Yeah. Um, and that trend just continued over that year. Like the beginning of 2019 was like definitely the biggest inflection point in my like professional life for sure. Cause like I met every athlete. I got to know every person in the space, everyone who sold out media passes. And like, I was doing that because I was like the right hand man to the two best filmmakers in the space like hands down right and so that just like put me in front of the right people to be able to like make connections both like gain the trust of like athletes and the event organizers and like whatever like whoever it was i was kind of able to like meet and interact with and then you know definitely like my personality i'm just like an open chatty guy so like if you put me in front of someone like i'm gonna get to know them and i'm gonna hopefully leave a good impression on them that i can call back to later right and yeah that's kind of what happened so (laughs) Man. So uh, w- are all of those relationships that you established then the seeds for what ultimately became your day in the life series? Yeah, hundred percent. Like how it happened, you mean? And like how I was able to pull it off? Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, it, it has to have given you at least like being able to talk to that many athletes about, um, you know, what, what brought them to strength and depth, what brought them to Wadapalooza, like all, all of those those interactions have to have helped inform you some of the storytelling that you might be able to tell by going a little bit deeper with some of these athletes and telling the story about how they train and, and, you know, what kind of mindset they have to have to be at that competitive level. And it seems like those are insights that you've been able to take into the interview style that, that you've brought to those series that you've done with some of these high level athletes. Yeah, no, like, I don't think I learned any of that from the interactions with them. Like I, that was just like, I think that's always kind of come natural, like the inquisitive nature, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. I've always just been like supernaturally inquisitive. And like when I started the day in the life series, I was just like, all right, I'm just going to go into these homes and just like look around and ask questions. Like I literally had no, no script, no idea, no plan, no nothing. No, I had no idea what I was going to do. The initial episode I thought was going to be like 12 minutes. Like I literally fully planned on making the first episode with Allison Scuds like 12 minutes. And then when I sat down to edit it, I was like, holy crap, this is not going to be 12 minutes. I want to <laughs> keep all this in. And so it was like, it was super raw and organic. And that just was my, I knew I was a good storyteller. And so I just kind of trusted that. And I was like, all right, like, I'm just going to see how this goes and like kind of paint the picture as we go. 
So no, I didn't get any of that from meeting the athletes in 2019 or those really, but what it did do for me was just the connections. Like I had right. the phone number or, you know, I was already in the athletes DMs, whatever. So I was able to quickly reach out to Scuds, Vellner, Fikowski, Barnhart, like all these athletes that I kind of like started the series off with. Right. Um, I was able to quickly and easily reach out to them and they were like super down to have me like very intimate settings in their life. Um, to like come and document stuff that like most other people don't get access to. Yeah. It seems like you've had ongoing access to some of those athletes as well. Like you, you've had quite a few appearances with Pat Vellner in particular. Um, you know, is now grant he, he wound up moving from Ontario out to BC and you made a transition out to BC as well. Was that entirely coincidental or, or, how did that yeah, all come super, about? super. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent coincidental. Um, yeah, he moved before me, but only by like a month or two. And then uh, my girlfriend, so we went to Ottawa for me, my career. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend had a career opportunity here in Vancouver, so that's why we moved. And it was just like timing that as we were moving was when I decided I wanted to like pursue my own content and my own channel. And when I had the idea for the Day in the Life series, and uh, it was just yeah good timing because obviously like the first two of the first three episodes were brent and pat which were both dudes who are like within a stone's throw relatively of where i am now like i just was able to drive or take a ferry um which helped because at the beginning i obviously like i had no idea how i was going to make money doing it either so the least expensive way to get to an athlete the better so (laughs) so how did you how did you make the decision to leave the the relative comfort of a, a paid day job and go mm-hmm. off and create your own content and take that risk. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was like it was pretty just like intuitive, I guess, in the sense of like I definitely didn't cross any T's or dot any I's. Like anyone with any common sense or like like risk aversion or any anything like that would have looked at my situation and been like, you can't do anything else. Like <laughs> for the first time in my life, I was making a full time living making videos which had never been done before for me like i'd never been anywhere close to that because mm-hmm. even at ncr like i was getting paid what a coach gets paid which at times is not the greatest mm-hmm. you know and like i was still having to do other things like i was running a digital marketing company and trying to make ends meet that way working with heber marston and rory which i was doing at the same time between those two i could have kept doing that for the foreseeable future and i was making great money and like they paid really well and it was like super fun and whatever so like there was no reason why I should have left other than the fact that like it was around the games, which I filmed with Rory, um, where I just realized like, you know, I started making videos out of like a desire for a creative expression that I never had previously and a passion for the craft. Like I really enjoyed storytelling. I really enjoyed creating these stories and sharing them with an audience. And I love the idea of YouTube. I was absolutely in love with the idea of YouTube because it's just like, one of the only things in life where the only thing above you is your ability to work. Like your hard work pays off like so drastically on YouTube where it's just like, if you show up every single day, you listen to your audience, you, you know, you're smart about it. You're not, you're self-aware to be like, this is working. This isn't, you're able to pivot. You're able to do what, but it's like, there's no one in front of you being like, uh, sorry, you need to wait till this person retires till you can like move up in the ranks, like yeah. you did whatever, like all these things people run into in regular day, day jobs, Yeah, which by no means that I have a lot of with, with any of those guys that I was working with, but still like it was their thing. It was their channel. It was their whatever. So at the end of the day, they had say in what happened, a lot of say, the biggest say in what happened and how things went and, and how I was creating what I was creating for them. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, I just got to a point where I was like, all right, like, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. And if I don't stop doing this, I'm going to start to hate making videos, which I don't do, hate. I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. But like doing it this way, doing it for someone else, doing it, you know, not being out. The thing I love about YouTube is I decide when the video is done. You yeah. know, like I'm not making a TV show that has a bunch of executives that give input. It's like, I decide when it's done, I click upload, it yep. goes to my audience. Yeah. And even that intermediary of someone else being able to be like, oh, can you change these two things? Like, again, I can't even stress how dream of a job it was for a videographer because like Heber Martin were super relaxed. I didn't really have, I wasn't, I was just mainly a camera for them. But for Rory, I was like producing the whole thing, editing the whole thing. And he was super good too. He would maybe give me two or three points of feedback of video, which like 
any videographer knows is like great for a 20 minute video. Mm. But even still, it's just those two, three things. I was like, in my head, I'm like, you're telling me this is wrong. I'm telling you it's right. And I'm right. Cause I made it like, you know what I mean? Like I'm just hard headed like that. Yeah. And so I just kind of knew, I was like, if I want to keep doing this, like I got to start doing it on my own. Otherwise I'm just going to not like it. Well, it's cool. Cause you've got that direct conduit to your audience and you, and you also get the direct feedback too, in, in the comments and in the DMS. So yep. you're, you know, you're able to respond in real time to how people are reacting to the content that you're producing in a way that, you know, everyone else, every in traditional content creation doesn't get the benefit of, of doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially in the, you know, the really old school traditional, you know, produce stuff through a, um, you know, a, a streaming platform like Netflix, where it, it's yep. been in production for nine months or, or longer before it shows up on, on anyone's screen. Mm-hmm. And been through like 1700 regulatory bodies and people with opinions and yeah. Totally. yeah and a team of writers, et cetera. Yeah. yeah it's, exactly. it's, uh, it's a very different world. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did COVID modify your plans at all? I mean, was, did that factor into the approach that you had envisioned originally versus the path that you're on now? Yeah, totally. I mean, before COVID I was doing the day in life series basically exclusively. Like that was, the only content I was creating and that I had, you know, in terms of vision, like I always knew that I wanted that not to be the case. I wanted to pivot the channel eventually to be more blog style, to have me more as, you know, the center of the content more just for like longevity purposes and the ability to like do other things. And just again, in order to create, I don't want to be limited by only being able to do this one type of video. I wanted to be able to create whatever I wanted to create or whatever I felt my audience wanted to see. And but with that being said, I obviously had great success with the Day in the Life series. I was very confident that was going to happen, and it did. And so it was great. It was like a rocket ship I was riding with the channel. It, it blew up relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, and then COVID just like absolutely stopped all that. Mm. It was just like, well, you literally can't do the one thing you were doing anymore. That's it. You can't do it. I was like, oh, shit. So <laughs> it, it was just like, it was just a moment of me being like, all right, I had always planned to pivot the channel didn't plan to do it this soon, but like I have no other option. So like, all right, let's try to figure out how to make this work. And it was just like all of 2020 was me trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you seem to have pivoted uh, nicely. I mean, you know, like a a lot of your content is reactions to what's happening in the CrossFit community. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're doing a combination of news reporting and editorializing on what's happening and, and what people should be paying attention to and bringing attention to, to things that they might not have heard through other channels. Um, you know, how, how time consuming is it for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the community and respond to it, uh, as quickly as you are? It's a good question. Uh, listen, it's my full-time job and I do it all the time. And like the, the interesting thing with YouTube, especially the way I like to do it, which is no matter what I'm doing, I like uploading near daily. Like, mm. I just love it. It's like a drug to me. Like, I love it. I love creating content. I love creating a lot of content. I love creating it frequently. I love creating it with like a mandate, like a self imposed one, but a mandate to try to create every day. Like, I love that. So, in order to, with what I'm doing right now, which is kind of like a blend of, yeah, like 50% of the video is vlog, 50% of the video is like a news type thing which are two things that I can do from home that I love both mm-hmm. of them equally. Like I love vlogging. I love daily vlog style vlogging, like Casey Neistat inspired. Like I love that type of vlogging. And I also love telling stories, like I, which is vlogging, but like in the more pure sense of literally sitting down and telling a story is, is what the new stuff is to me. And it's like, sometimes it's even less so news. Like the last couple of videos, that's not really the news. It's just been me like expanding on an idea, which mm-hmm. like I love to do. I love to talk. I love to like come up with ideas and like I said, tell a story or expand on a thought or whatever. And so for me, like both, both sides of the, of the content right now is like something I'm just like, I absolutely love doing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the the curse and the blessing with YouTube is like you you're you're 100 your own boss to the full ex- extent of that, and you also start putting pressure on yourself to like you know keep pumping it out, keep out outdoing yourself, bigger, better. You get this many views on average in the last three videos. I got to keep that up. I got to keep that up. I got to get better. Whatever. Yeah. So like it it definitely is like tough to to not be in it 24 seven. So I guess to answer your question, it's 
24-7. Like, I'm, like, there isn't a moment where I'm not thinking about a video, whether it's the video I'm trying to upload next or the one after that or, like, usually that's as far as it gets. It's either, like, the one I uploaded this morning and I'm tracking how it went and I'm trying to, like, learn from it. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the one that I'm recording right now that's going to go out tomorrow. And in order to do that, it's like, yeah, like even if I'm like sitting at the end of the day and like eating and watching TV, like I'm definitely scrolling. And if I see something that like catches my eye and I get like a tick of being like, this could be an idea, like I'm in my notes immediately writing down the thoughts, writing down like a potential title. Mainly that's how I'll do it is I'll try to come up with a good title, Mm -hmm. something that I think can be like, you know, work for that. And then I'll expand out of that. Um, and like that can come at any time. So how do you, how do you achieve a work-life balance or the traditional work-life balance that people come to know as the work-life balance when your, your work is your life and vice versa? I mean, it's, it's so ingrained in, in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. How do you, how do you unplug from it at least to a degree so that you're not obsessing about what, what comes next or, or is that, just the price you pay for making this your choice of, of how to make a living? That's a magic question, bro. That's a magic <laughs> question. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting, man. You've seen such an up and down in the last few years online with like, you know, hustle porn being super glorified and then a work-life balance, four-hour work week being super glorified. And like people like to talk about the best way to manage and my morning routine and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, I think at the end of the day, you just have to be self-aware and understand what you're trying to do and what you might need to do to get there. And like, I'm trying to do something that right now, I don't know what the stat is, but it's like something like 75 to 80% of people under the age of 18 want to do. Like Mm -hmm. the dream job of 75 to 80% of kids under the age of 18 in the world is to be a YouTuber, which is like nuts. And, you know, it's the best job in the world, but so many people want to do it. It's there's so many people doing it. Are they aware of the percentage that can actually make it happen? Yeah. Well, that's it, man. So like, that's what I'm saying is like, I'm trying to do something that like is statistically very unlikely to be able to do. And to me in my brain, I'm doing that with an unrelenting like fire because I love it. Like, it's not just because I'm trying to be a YouTuber. Like, I think that's where people get messed up sometimes too. And that's where burnout and work-life balance, all that stuff, that, that those conversations come in. is like, if you're, if you're at a point or you get to a point or you're starting out and, and you're doing it for a reason that isn't just a pure passion, then that's where that stuff really comes into, into play. Like, if you're just, like a lot of those kids just want to be YouTubers because it looks like the most glorious job ever, which it is in a lot of ways. Mm. But if you're just doing it for that reason, you're going to fail. You're going to burst into a ball of flames hundred percent of the time. Like I do it. I even said like I make, I could have kept doing and now that stuff's starting to reopen, I could just go back to making one video a week, the day in the life videos and whatever. And like, that's fine. But like, I love the daily grind. I love making, like, it's what I want to do every single day. Like, it's just what I want to do. Like if you, if I was not getting paid, which I wasn't for so long, like I literally made 200 videos on a near daily basis before getting into CrossFit blogging where I made nothing. I had less than a hundred subscribers. I was getting maybe five to six views a video, like, but I was still putting content out daily while going to school full time, while working full time. Cause I just loved it. Like yeah. I love doing it. Um, So for me, it's just like, you know, there is no work-life balance because this is both work and life. And I think for me, the biggest thing I found is I have to just keep it not work. So whenever something comes into it that feels like work, I try to either outsource it or I just get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, like working with brands, you know, like I have a couple great brand relations that I've fostered over the years or year or whatever. And, um, you know, I've tried a lot of different things with brands. I've worked with a bunch of different brands in different ways or whatever. And recently the channel's gotten to a point where I don't need to work with brands anymore. And so because it's not a necessity for me to keep the channel alive, I've basically started saying no to like absolutely every single brand opportunity. Like there are very few brands and partnerships that I'm like willing to do right now because they feel like work because it's mm-hmm. like, oh crap, I got to remember to pose for this brand. I got to remember to do this activation, whatever it interrupts my creative flow. It interrupts my like one laser focused desire, which is to put out a video as frequently as possible. Um, 
so you know now the brands i work with are ones that i'm like super easily able to integrate i have a great relationship with the founders i i believe in the product or service or whatever it is like mm-hmm. you know i'm saying no to a lot more than saying yes to and and that's i think for me the way i've found the ability to keep a work-life balance is i just even with like dreamer like my clothing brand uh, like i was just I, gonna ask about that yeah so like <laughs> it's funny timing but like I literally did the last launch of shirts and like we sold out of like the largest and the extra larges and I think the mediums in like a day, which is like super cool. And that's the success you want. You're like, sweet. Yeah. That's what I was trying to do. And the next day when I was packing orders while trying to make a video, I was like, why the fuck did I do this? Like, I wish I didn't do this. Like I I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, this is, I, this is interrupting me trying, this is work. I don't want to do work. I just want to make videos because that's not work to me. So it's funny. And now like, you know, I'm still super passionate about the brand, but my girlfriend's literally quitting her job to take over Dreamer because it's gone to a point now where, like I said, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. So she's going to take it over and she has a background in the industry. So I think it's going to go super well, but it's just, again, it's that example of just like, I try to cut out everything possible that feels like work because if I do that, then the pureness of making a video, uploading it to YouTube for my audience, that I don't think will ever feel like work. As long as I don't let all of the other things seep in. Yeah. And well, there's so, the bigger you get, the more opportunities you get. The more people want to do stuff with you, the more people want attention, da 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 Right. And, you know, it's just like, for me, it's like this, this is really all I care about. And, you know, if something's going to get in the way of me doing that, I'm just not going to do it. And I think think that keeps for now at least that kind of keeps me being able to like roll on so do you feel any pressure being in the competitive space with other vloggers that focus on the crossfit community i mean whether it's craig ritchie in the uk or recce in in uh, australia the buttery bros who used to be your bread and butter no pun intended mm-hmm. um you know like they're, they're in the space they're they're storytellers in the space <laughs> Um, you figure, you know, because you're telling the story from a personal perspective and that's what's attracting people to your channel that you're just going to keep marching along doing your thing and not really pay too much attention to what other vloggers in the space are doing. Yeah, man, like I, I, I don't, I don't pay any attention to what other people are doing only just because like, I just don't really have the time. And like, the little bit of time I have to like sit and like watch TV or something. The last thing I want to do is watch CrossFit content. (laughs) I love the content all those guys do. It's like, I'm really good friends with Craig. Like we message back and forth all the time. He's definitely someone I look up to and I'll ask questions too, because obviously he kind of pioneered the, the space bridging YouTube and CrossFit together from like an individual creator perspective. Um, Keeper and Mars are obviously homies for life. Like I love those guys and, Again, I'll go to them for stuff all the time. Like I love all those guys, but like I feel I they probably feel the same way. Like <laughs> if if you're making CrossFit content for a living, you're probably not spending your free time watching CrossFit content. <laughs> um, so no, I wish them all the best. Always, I want to see them succeed. I I'll do anything I can to like help promote them because I definitely believe that the more eyeballs <clears throat> on YouTube for CrossFit content, the better for all of us. So if Craig's bringing a bunch of new people to the space from other places. If buttery bros are bringing a bunch, like it's all great. Like, you know, their views are my views in the sense that like, you know, I've gotten to a point, I think where like, you know, typically if you watch a video that has to do with CrossFit, there's a good chance. One of my videos is also going to be recommended. So it's just, that's certainly how I came across you. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I can see where my videos are getting recommended and it's all, it's Craig's videos. It's buttery bros videos. It's, it's like all those guys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, rising tide rise, raises all ships, man. It's like, you know, when Matt got into YouTube, awesome. Like I'm not expecting Matt to come out and be like a full-time creator and whatever. And like some people might look at that and yeah, maybe think like you asked, like, oh, is he taking it away from me? But it's like, no, man, like he's bringing it in. Like think how many people care about Matt Fraser and then extrapolate how many people probably of that hadn't paid attention to YouTube before. Yeah, He's introducing them to CrossFit content. And then people like me, people like Craig who do this full time, it's all we do, it's all we care about. Yeah, 
they get into sauce and it, it's just like it's a bleed off effect for sure well yeah and, and especially where your vlog isn't purely focused on your training time as well you're talking about what's happening with athletes who's getting ready for semis <laughs> uh, Matt's 7,000 calorie a day diet like you know there, there's there's lots of interesting topics in the space for mm-hmm. um, vloggers like yourself to be able to comment on and, and provide some perspective that everybody can kind of see a little bit of themselves in some of the commentary that you're providing is, is some of what's happening with CrossFit Inc influencing where things have gone for you over the last year. I mean the, you know, the, the changeover um, with Eric Rosa um, taking over as CEO and um, some of the media team kind of being reintroduced to what's happening with the open now um, and, and what will subsequently happen leading up to the semis and finally the games. Um, Do you figure that 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 is part of that uh, whole idea of, you know, the rising tide bringing even more audience to you on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, I love that CrossFit is back in the hands of someone who wants to see the games grow, obviously. Mm. And a massive part of that is through media. So I'm, I'm stoked. Like, as much as it like you, I was messaging with Craig about this the other day about like if he thought we would be able to get media passes or not. We were both kind of like probably not this year because like they're obviously going to want to have exclusivity to content at the games and all that. Mm. But like honestly, yeah, that's great because it's like all that's going to do is grow the sport. Like you know, if CrossFit doesn't give a crap about the media and they let anyone have a media pass like they did in 2019, the last time I was at the games. And there's no real official content being produced. It's all kind of just like watered down versions of the same thing. Like, no, I would rather like Heber and Marston be the only people with media passes, be able to produce a kick-ass documentary that like goes out to the world and then have CrossFit be able to hire media professionals to do their content. And that's great. And then, you know, people like Craig and I can just document our experience at the games. And it's the same thing. Like there will be bleed off that comes from all that. Mm. So I think the fact that HQ is taking control of media again is great. And I think it's just you know, any, any growth of the sport is good. And like, you know, you ask about the changes and stuff like when, when Glassman stepped down and Rosa stepped in and I started to see his actions, like that was just more validation for me of being like, yeah, I'm, I don't feel at any reservation to like go all in on CrossFit and like really like make it the sole hub and like the center of my, or at least for now, the center of my channel. Yeah. Um, not like I wasn't doing that before, but like, you know, you were, you'd be skeptical because Greg was like, he was a loose cannon, man. You never knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And so like when Rosa came in, it was just like this, like kind of sigh of relief being like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I've invested in a stock that's going back up yeah. after it kind of, after it kind of, di- like, or at I least you don't like feel I- like it's about to plunge. <laughs> well, I feel like I bought in at the dip. I feel like mm. when I came into the space in 2019, the reason why I got all the opportunities I did was because HQ was eliminated. I wouldn't have got on the competition floor. I wouldn't have been able to he- help Heber and Marston if they were still working for HQ. Yeah, I wouldn't have fair. got to know the athletes and they wouldn't have been willing to take me because they would save themselves for CrossFit content, not for this random blogger. So like yeah. it all kind of worked out. I bought in at the dip and now I'm just like riding it to the moon. Just like yeah. Dogecoin, same thing. It wasn't one of the wasn't one of the things that was most challenging was this stranglehold that that CrossFit Inc had on the the media the presentation and the packaging of the sport wasn't that one of the things that was cited as maybe limiting the growth of the sport initially and so when the when the media change took place whether it was um, you know well thought out and structured or not the the fact that third parties were able to get media passes and be able to tell their own stories and have that level of access. Um, you, you don't figure that that, that at least a degree of that will be maintained in order to allow that storytelling to get a broader appeal. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but I mean, anyone who is like citing that as the reason for like not being able to grow their third party media source, which is like a whiner, like <laughs> figure out something better. Like if, if you can't find a more creative way to talk about something that's happening than what's already being done, then you're not going to succeed. It's like YouTube. Like right. there are hundreds of thousands of millions of people who want to be YouTubers, but if you can't find a way to do something that's unique to yourself and that an audience is going to like and whatever, you make as much content as you want. You can do whatever you want, but you're not going to grow. You're not going to like, it's, you're not going to succeed. That's like anything in life too. Like, you can't just sit there and be like, oh, well, they have all control of the media. It's like, look at Craig. Craig grew his channel and like boomed it up while HQ was still completely a stranglehold. 
you know, and he created his own lane. And that's what people need to do. It's like, if you, if you're sitting here being like, oh man, I missed the boat. Like I can't, I can't start creating content in the CrossFit space because now CrossFit has control of it again. It's like, you just, you're just waiting to fail. Like, yeah. That's not a, that's not an attitude to someone who's going to be successful. Like you just, you don't worry about that stuff. You just do your thing. You figure out how to make it work and you will if, if you're, if you're of that mindset. So so with with your launch of the Dreamer brand, how do you envision mm-hmm. like like is that uh, meant to be kind of its own thing that's complemented by what you're doing with your channel? Um, like how how much of an integration do you do you plan for your brand to have with your channel? I mean, with the content, not much other than the fact that it just explains me. Like mm-hmm. it, the branding explains me. It explains my belief in how to get where you want to be. It explains how I got to where I am now and how I plan to continue to go to where I want to be. Um, it really just explains that. And like the dream it, do it idea just encompasses all of that. And so, you know, the brand integration is just like, it's seamless because it's just, it's who I am. It's what I believe in. It's what I care about. And so like understanding that and, and, you know, being able to just show my audience that in small parts, mm-hmm. I think will do enough. Like, you know, I, uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, Rhea is going to do with it and like how she's going to kind of like man it and run it. Cause like I said, she has like a seven year background in the fashion industry. So I think it's like really going to become its own thing. And like my goal is definitely has always been for it to be a brand that can kind of like live on its own slightly and like in time, not need me attached to it. Like I didn't want to just like put like, Hey, Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, beautiful people of the internet on a t-shirt and try to sell that. Like that's right. Yeah. That'd be easy that'd be easy to sell, but it, mm-hmm. it's not like, I don't know. It's not like a quality product. It's not like whatever. So it's, it's always kind of been my goal to like create a clothing brand. I just got to a point where I was like, well, I want to keep making videos. So I don't want to make a clothing brand on the side, but now that Reed's <laughs> willing to take it over, it's like, perfect. So. <laughs> well, now that things are opening up, do you envision, I mean, it, obviously travel restrictions are going to be maintained for at least a little while to some degree. So um, you know, did you have plans to, uh, try to attend either the semis or, or maybe even the games? Um, it sounded like you were planning on do, hitting the games at the very least, whether you yeah, get a media games, pass or not. Yeah. Games for sure. Um, hundred percent will be going to the games. Uh, semis, it's more just like a timing issue. Like, um, I had a good opportunity to go down, still have a good opportunity to go down to West coast classic in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it just it, the timing doesn't really work for Re to be able to come, which like I don't really like to travel without her. Um, and then also like it's just like the timing is right before we're supposed to move, and I don't know, and it's, and it's like decently close to the games, and the move is kind of right in the middle. So I don't know. And then obviously all the COVID stuff, having to quarantine for two weeks when we get back. Like, yeah, I just I don't know if it's like quite makes sense to do a semi this year. Um, We'll see. I haven't decided fully, but kind of unsure at the moment. Um, but I mean, games, yeah, 100% plan to be there. And then uh, hopefully, like, our, our idea is that we'll just kind of hit the ground running after that and be able to move around to a bunch of different stuff. I really want the channel to um, have travel vlogging as, like, a massive correlate of it. Um Obviously, right now it is what it is because of the situation. Yeah. What I'm doing right now is what I'm doing right now, not only because I enjoy it, but because it's what I can do right now. You know, it's not necessarily what I want to be the sole. Like, I don't, I don't just want to stay home and make news content 24 seven forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be able to do that when I'm home, but then also travel and document that and get back to doing day in life videos and things like that. Yeah, I think I think travel is you know, probably just a natural extension of your storytelling anyway. I mean, you've already demonstrated that with some of your earlier stuff. So I think once we're able to get back to that, I think it'll, it'll probably just wind up being a natural extension of your storytelling anyway. Yeah, totally. Um, Nate, I, I can't thank you enough for um, agreeing to be uh, uh, my guinea pig here to to go allow me to pick your brain and, and ask questions about um, what it is that you're doing. Um, I, I've been watching uh, with keen interest, particularly like the I, the news content in particular. It's it's um, it's really interesting to hear your perspective on things. It's always entertaining. There's, there's a, there's almost a wink at the camera when, when you hit Mm -hmm. something that you know is, is going to be like a, either a a point that people are, are uh, really interested in or sensitive about. I I, I think you, uh, you handle it um, uh, 
you know, really quite well, especially when there's a little bit of controversy around a particular decision having been made or an athlete having said something. So, I mean, your, your perspective on everything that's been going on um, within the CrossFit space, particularly for the last year, when everyone has been so challenged to, you know, find the bright spot in what's going on right now, um, it's, it's definitely been worthwhile tuning in every time you upload a new video. So um, thanks for being a voice of reason within the CrossFit community. Um, anytime you're out in Halifax, hit me up. I've got a garage gym and uh, I'd love to visit Ironstone with you at some point if you're ever back out here as well. Yeah, we're moving out there in like four weeks. Oh, hell. Five weeks. Yeah, if that's where we're moving. If you guys will let us in, I know the borders are closed right now. But uh, Yeah, if, you might have uh, to do some fancy negotiation in order to get, uh, get past... Dr. Strang's recommendations, but uh, yeah, maybe things will open up by the time you're ready to come. Yeah, July 10th is when we have flights booked, so hopefully before then. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man. <laughs> Appreciate that, though. All right. Well, Nate, thanks for being a guest on the Box Jumper podcast. I hope to chat with you again soon. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. And that's time for this episode. All that's left is the M wrap-up. Nate's got guts. That much is clear. At several points in his journey thus far, he's made a deliberate choice to take a leap of faith, confident that the skills and experience he has will catch him and take him to the next level. Not an easy thing to do, and it's something that I really admire about the way that he's building his brand and deftly navigating the changes in conditions around him. And some changes, like COVID, were simply outside of his control, and yet he still had the confidence to choose how to respond. I think Nate approaches his CrossFit-focused content with a blend of passion for the subject matter and a natural curiosity about the CrossFit space and the people in it. Because he has the open personality that he has, that much has to have come through loud and clear in my chat with him, it serves him well. And it's not just when the camera's rolling I discovered. After we finished recording, Nate and I stayed online and chatted for a while afterwards, talking about his impending move to Halifax, the confidence he has that his girlfriend, with her deep experience in fashion, will do a better job than he ever could bringing his lifestyle brand to the world, and he shared some advice with me on growing this podcast. He's just a generous guy who loves what he does and wants to see others succeed in life, in the gym, in business, you name it. If you're into CrossFit, there's no excuse to not follow Nate on Instagram and on YouTube. I'll include links in the show notes. That's it, but I have another episode already recorded, and so that will drop really soon. Be sure to subscribe to get it automatically when it comes out. If you like this episode, please share it or even write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other fitness-minded people find the show. And if you have ideas or questions, send me an email at podcast at boxjumper.ca, and of course, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at boxjumperover40. Thanks again for listening. Another interesting chat for the Box Jumper podcast is on the way soon. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often. <laughs>